Hi, welcome to Revved Up for Sunday, a podcast on the Sunday scriptures from the clergy of St. Mark's Church in New Canaan, Connecticut. I'm Justin Crisp. I'm Elizabeth Garnsey. And I'm Peter Walsh. And today we have a doozy of a scripture before us. The last couple of weeks of the Revised Common Lectionary have been bringing out the big guns. Two weeks ago, we had wars and rumors of wars. Last week, we had Christ, the King of King and the Lord of Lords. Today, we are looking towards the first Sunday of Advent, it's the end of the world as we know it. Do you feel fine? Hear the scriptures. <laughs> A reading from the gospel according to Luke. Jesus said, There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all of the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you will know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life, and that day catch you unexpectedly like a trap, for it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So it's the end of the world. How do the two of you feel? Uh, in, in all seriousness, what, what exactly, what do you make of a passage like this, or what do you make of this particular passage? It's not our first foray into apocalyptic literature during this uh, the early days of the podcast, right? But mm-hmm. it takes on a slightly different flavor here in Luke than it did in Mark. Uh, what do I make of this? I, you know, it's I like to look at it in context of our liturgy. Thank God for our liturgy mm-hmm. and for mm-hmm. Advent One. I feel like it's it's an excellent starting place for our season of anticipation, expectation waiting, you know, the inbreaking of something radical mm. and important and earth shattering, you know, um, Luke, you know, I don't think they were observing Advent at the <laughs> writing of Luke, but maybe. Um, but so I feel that, uh, you know, once again, this language, it's apocalyptic. We've been here before. Um, and Jesus, I think, is speaking in pretty opaque terminology. Yeah. Uh, it could be that he's talking about the sign, the handwriting that was on the wall for his time, which was the Roman Jewish war, mm. you know, impending doom, the fall of the temple. You know, his words are vindicated when the temple falls in 70 yeah. CE. So, you know, for those people, it completely upended their world. You know, what order, what sense were they to make of, of that disorder? Mm. Um so I guess that, you know, my first sense is, okay, let's calm down a little bit. You know, I, I feel like, yeah. uh, you know, 
the end of the world. We, we think things are the end of the world all the time. You know, when, when things bad, bad things happen, we think, oh my gosh, this is the end. Yeah. And we say that in a figurative way. And I think that he, they speak, they, we've maybe always spoken that way as humans. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Well, I don't agree with you. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think this is an absolute terrible place for the church to start. <laughs> I, 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 I think beginning with apocalyptic language about the end of the world that people can't, for the most part, understand. <laughs> I mean, all this language, symbolic language, all comes out of the Hebrew scriptures. If you don't read it with the Hebrew scriptures next to them, you don't have any idea what he's talking about. I mean, mm-hmm. the Son of Man coming in a cloud. I, when I taught theology at the Kent School, the kids used to write about this, and I was teaching this exact same passage, and uh, the kids at the Kent School from all over the world, and one kid from South Korea said, well, there is no doubt that Jesus coming in a cloud to Seoul and oh my gosh, wow. you've seen the kids from New York City. They're like, are you kidding, dude? I mean, Manhattan is the center of the world. Jesus is not coming to Seoul, South Korea, when he comes in the cloud. Of, uh, you know, and so I think that this is a terrible place for the church to begin uh, with language that the average person cannot understand um, and that we move uh, with this symbolic language where we have the words of Jesus that go to Mark, mm-hmm. right? And, and then that Mark clearly ends up in Luke, who then re re-spins some of that, and then then we get to Luke's community, and now we get to our community. So, I, I mean, I think there's a, a lot happening here, and um, if I was to write the lectionary, I'd begin the, I'd begin the, the, uh, the year with the prologue of, to mm-hmm. John's Gospel. Mm-hmm. I would start with a, bam, the mm-hmm. prologue, yeah. and then you'd go, okay, we're off to something here. Appropriate. In the beginning was the in word. In the, the word beginning, man, I would go back to the beginning. I yeah. wouldn't go to the end. I'd go back to the beginning. Oh, wow. I mean, I, I, um, oh, am I going to disagree with the rector publicly? It's just, this happens regularly, privately, so these people ought to know the truth. We're speaking the love and yeah. truth. I've lived to tell. <clears throat> you lived to tell the tale of disagreeing with the rector. Uh, so I would say my, my perspective on this is that the, the church here begins with language of this kind because the, um, ah, because the, the most crucial part of this passage, I think, is the line, when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Mm-hmm. So it's not, when these things begin to take place, go batten down the hatches, right? So my sister lives in South Dakota, and there are some people there who are prepping for the end of the world. I mean, there are documentaries made about these people yeah. called preppers, right? And you, um, they, they buy these bunkers in South Dakota because they think it's far enough away from the capital of the world. Oh, wow. Whether the capital of the world is Manhattan or the capital of the world is Seoul or what have you, you know, South Dakota, who's going to, you know, uh, is, is nuclear fallout going to happen in South Dakota? So to go to South Dakota, no offense, Olivia, uh, if you're watching this, that's my <laughs> sister. Uh, and they build go these Olivia. bunkers. Um, they're like repurposed, like aircraft hangers of some kind. And they oh. fill these things with like, you know, stores and supplies to where they can get through a nuclear winter. Mm. Uh, and Jesus doesn't say, do that, right? No. When the end of the world seems to be coming, when you see distressing signs, when people are fainting from fear, don't lose heart. Stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. As it were, whatever it is that the world can throw at you, mm. God is on the other side of that thing. Um, and, you know, in, in days of... Um, so I'll say, I don't think that our moment is as unique as we like to make it our historical moment, Mm. right? It can feel like the world is ending. It can feel like we're more divided than we ever were before. It can feel like there's more war, more rumors of wars, more political division, more economic catastrophe. Actually, I don't know that. I don't don't think that. It's actually not true. true. It's not true. Uh, But no matter what 
comes, no matter what the stress or the strain or the fear or foreboding of your moment is, don't lose heart. God's on the other side of that thing. That's how I read this. I have to say, I don't, um, yeah, as I said before in the, in the earlier podcast on Mark's Little Apocalypse, mm-hmm. um, I don't read this imagery and take it as some kind of like, you know, prediction of what's going to happen 2,000 years from now. I don't actually pay a whole lot of attention to, you know, okay, so he's coming on a cloud. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and then go out and like start looking for signs in the moon and the sun and the stars. I think that Jesus is riffing on a genre of mm-hmm. literature mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like, um, like Elizabeth was saying. And his point, his intervention in this literature is that when this crazy stuff happens, whatever the crazy stuff is going to be, like the sun explodes and the universe comes to an end, I don't know, or there's like some cosmic great reversal of the Big Bang or something, and the whole universe like it just goes out of existence. <laughs> yeah, uh, nice. that was well yeah. done. No matter what it is, God's on the other side of that thing. And God's actually on the other side of all of our ends, all of our, mm-hmm. uh, all of our ends, all of our deaths. Um, so I I like that. I mean, I, I I think that's well said. I think that's well said. You don't. I mean, that does take some. Um, st- theologians uh, never let a piece of scripture get in the way of a you know a piece of theological uh, truth. Um, no, I, you're grounded. You're grounded in the heavens. <laughs> yeah, cos- yeah, yeah. Cosmically grounded in the heavens. I will say one thing that does cause me. One thing that is a stumbling block here in the passage for me is truly, I tell you, this generation okay. will not pass away until all things have taken place. If you interpret that as like, you know, Jesus is saying, this is going to happen historically mm-hmm. before the people who I'm talking to, his disciples, die. He was just wrong. Amen. So that's why I think you have to reinterpret it in some way, because that can't possibly be what Jesus meant, because I don't think Jesus could be that wrong. Unless right? he was if talking he said about that. the fall of, of, you know, the Jewish-Roman war, the fall of right. the temple. And then in that case, yeah, it happened. Well, See, I think one of the interesting things about Luke, which Luke was written um, in the, if I've got my dates right, I'm not a historian, uh, but if I got my dates right, it's like written on the hinge of the second century. Mm-hmm. So later than Mark, after the, the, the temple's been destroyed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah, I think Mark, right. Mark's little apocalypse, he's talking about the, he seems to be talking about the temple in an historical way. But here it's cosmic. Heaven and earth will pass away. He doesn't talk about the temple. So this is like the author of Luke, I think, like taking the original expectations of this end of the world uh, and making them more cosmic. He's reinterpreting them in some way for Christians who were living after the temple fell. Because the temple didn't fall and Jesus came back, right? The temple fell, yeah. But, well, it depends on what you mean by come back, right? Uh, but Jesus did not come back in the flesh then. And so he begins to, I think early Christians are constantly reinterpreting what the expectation of Jesus' coming in power and glory really was because Jesus doesn't reappear in the ways that they expected him to on their timeline. And so they constantly have to either move the the goalpost forward in history or they have to move it out of history or they have to say that Jesus is coming in some way, not literally on a cloud with great glory or not Mm -hmm. literally in a body, etc. That that process even goes up to the present day. I mean, I I don't Mm -hmm. think that Jesus is coming back for a second time in history on like a date in like the year 3000. I actually don't think that's, that's what it means to look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. I mean, do you guys? <clears throat> and no, categorically. No, yeah. I don't. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm taken by Luke here writing, stand up and raise your heads <clears throat> because your redemption is drawing near. This is the same writer that in the beginning of acts writes, 
you know, men of Galilee, why are you looking up into heaven? Mm. Um, you know, they, he's the one who writes mm, about nice. the ascension, and they actually see Jesus go up into a cloud of in glory. You know, so yeah. um, it's sort of an interesting turn of phrase here. And uh, <clears throat> I think in the whole Gospel of Luke, you know, he's writing for an early church who has uh, included the, the Gentile people yeah. for a long time now and maybe written for Gentiles uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if he's written writing to Jews or Gentiles, Gentiles. but it's, in, yeah. in, in, yeah. certainly inclusive. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And um, so he, you know, this I we have to maybe factor in the context here that it's yet another instruction uh, on the road. You know, what mm. are we supposed to do on this road of Jesus' way? And um, you know, the things will take place. I, I tend to agree. It's N.T. Wright really who makes this argument that Jesus is not wrong, but that he's talking mm. about Rome and mm. the Jewish-Roman war that's impending or happened in 66 mm-hmm. to 70. And, you know, Jesus is completely vindicated here because they actually did see their lives turned upside down. Um, so what's yeah. this early church to do without their temple and without their order? Um, you know, they were still Jews turned Jesus followers. Um, so with Jesus, you know, he's like, your redemption's drawing near, that the temple... You know, everything's going to turn upside down and I'm coming to replace your temple. You know, I am. God was present among his people in the temple. um, And without the temple, I'm present to you everywhere, you know, in your hearts. And, you know, I think that he's instructing his disciples that, you know, heaven and earth will pass away. The way of of our religious practice and the governments of the earth, you know, all these things are passing away. All these things are earthbound, but my words will not pass away. So do not become weighed down. You know, I, I feel like this is a message of hope. You know, it's not a message of impending doom. It's a message of, you know, stay steady and attentive and alert and look for it. Look for the signs of life. You know, we haven't talked about the fig tree yet, Mm, but he's got this, um, parable of a fig tree as soon as they sprout leaves you can see for yourself and know that summer is coming so for me he's saying look for signs of life you know look for where people are coming to life and in advent look for what's budding what's about to burst open and um put your energy towards that um so i i sort of like that we do misconstrue this i think the students of kent school or right you know it's it's an appalling passage to have to live with it's it's the apocalyptic fear driven you know it's what it's what all these cults and think people turn on that that go looking for a a, an end of the world Mm. but jesus i just there's nothing in jesus life that says that that's what his mindset was Mm. he was not a david koresh of the first century you know oh yeah well put yeah yeah, I mean, I think we get into this question of, of, of the scriptures in different times and places in time and then how we interpret it, how they are interpreted. Yeah. Uh, back to N.T. writes that, that in Jesus' day, his conversation about 
these things are going to happen and what happened, you know, as we talked about in the, in the fall, the, the siege of Jerusalem, the crushing of the temple, the things that happened in the generation that followed and the, the fulfillment of that. And if we say Mark was written around 70, mm-hmm. it, you mentioned that uh, early on when we did that podcast, and uh, scholars would say that Luke is around 80, so that the, the fall of the temple mm-hmm. uh, and all that those words are talking about in earlier passages, that's come to pass, and that, that, gives, that gives credibility to Jesus as a, as prophet, and and now in Luke's time he's uh, translating this to his people, and that and it it, it gets less time bound, right? Mm-hmm. We we're uh, more cosmic and less time bound. All this uh, apocryphal language is cosmic language about what's happening in the present for these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I mean, I just have to name it and claim it, and you touched upon it. Uh, truly, I tell you, uh, this generation will not pass away until all things have, all the all things have taken place. That this sentence is uh, one of the most problematic sentences in the New Testament, and I would go as far as to say I think it's as equally problematic. Uh, for many people as the resurrection. Mm-hmm. And so um, uh, R.C. Sproul, the, the Presbyterian preacher, I listened to some time ago, and he, you know, he said that Christians don't take this sentence seriously enough. They, they blow by it, but anybody evaluating it and trying to understand Christianity, was Jesus right? Well, if you read the words, Jesus was wrong. And, and Bertram Russell, the, you know, right. the philosopher who wrote Why I'm Not a Christian, you know, he zinged right in on those words that Jesus was wrong. Yeah. Why should I? Why should I believe all the rest of this stuff? So I, I, mm-hmm. I, I think that this, how this passage is interpreted, is incredibly important. Whether or not you have a first-rate philosopher, whether or not you have the people who are buying bunkers uh, to for the end of the world and putting in canned goods that are just going to go bad, they forgot to turn it upside down. <laughs> it actually does say in the bottom of the can, "Good for only like three or four years." Yeah, that's right. nasty. Um, and when we lived in Arizona. Uh, it, people, everybody put away water because mm-hmm. if the if the power system shut down, you just die. And so, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of people doing that. So I, I think the interpretation of this is really, really, really mm-hmm. difficult. And that's why I like your yeah. comment earlier, which is to say, whatever form it takes in the end, you know, mm-hmm. you Jesus people, you're good. I mean, <laughs> not to boil that down to... No, no, that, 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 you know, that is what that I was trying to say. But I think it's a very, very difficult difficult yeah. saying of Jesus. I, yeah. I mean, the fear and all that, it hinges upon a very literal reading of what Jesus is saying here. Right. And that's where I feel, I, I don't think Jesus is wrong at all. I mean, this generation, whether he means his first century generation he was speaking to, or Luke's second generation people he was writing to, or us, the you know 30th generation of people reading it, hmm. I think that all things have... This generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. What's Jesus talking about things? I mean, he's Mm. talking about the upside down nature of our world, things falling apart, temple coming down, um, you know, signs in the sun, moon and stars and the earth's distress, nations confused. I mean, all these things take place in every generation, as you've said. And um, Jesus went all the way to the cross. Mm -hmm was raised from the dead, you know, the cosmic Christ is led abroad, you know, in every human heart and every place and time, you know, it has taken place. These Mm. things have taken place and every generation exists with them taking place in their time. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't really, I don't, I don't feel like he's wrong or that it's 
in that light, not problem. It's in that light to me, it's not problematic if you can if we have that perspective of, um, you know, Jesus literally taking the long view, the the the, the mm. universal, eternal view. Uh, mm. I, yeah, I'll just say I don't have you comment on this. Yeah. You have a PhD in theology. I'll just say that. <laughs> That's you, my excuse. You, no. That doesn't mean a whole lot. Uh, it just means uh, I'm a nerd. Uh, 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 <laughs> we all spent a lot of money to study for three years in a seminary and have a lot of very smart people talk to us. You, th- you get this scripture out of the blue. You sit down with your Bible. You're sitting, oh, on, you're sitting on the subway, right? Yeah. You're gonna, you, want, you want the word. Yeah. You sit down and you read it. Mm-hmm. You, don't, you don't have all the... We have so many, we have so many theologians in our heads, but you mm-hmm. don't read, you read it off the page. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I mean, so I'll say my, my grandfather was a Southern Baptist minister and did not spend a dime on a seminary education. Uh, he, um, uh, he was self-taught. He got his high school diploma right. in the mail. As an adult, uh, he and my grandmother did a high did a GED program through the mail when they were um, uh, in their twenties or thirties, um, and so my my grandfather was completely self taught. But I'll say, uh, Revelation was his favorite book of the Bible. But he told me something. He said, Justin, don't read it first. <laughs> and he said, actually, be very very careful about reading stuff like this mm-hmm. because it's, he said exactly what you said, right? He said it has to be taken very slowly you have to be very careful about it like you can't take it literally right so he he did not um i'll just say my grandfather didn't meet any caricature of a non-seminary educated yeah. uh minister in a country church mm-hmm. right in that regard and i think he he was totally right about that you have to tread carefully here mm-hmm. um the there that's there i think is um you know i i also i don't think that jesus was wrong i think that jesus has been misunderstood mm-hmm. um i think that you know i actually i do believe in a vivid and dramatic version of the life of the world to come. And even of what some people call the second coming, even though I wouldn't call it the second coming, because second is like in a temporal sequence, as though like, okay, so Jesus came first in the first century, and he's going to come the second time in like, you know, the one, I don't know, like the 1,000th century or something yeah. like that. I don't think it happens like that. I think rather that when we die, we enter into the presence of God, name for which we, uh, the, what we name as heaven. We enter into the realm of God and into God's immediate presence. And that this happens to each one of us as we die. And I don't think we enter into this um, it, with just a soul. I think we enter in, into it with the whole of our being, with some kind of, I'm, I'm completely speculating here, right? But, you know, with some, I think we're whole beings. Like, I don't, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not really into embodiment. Like, I feel pretty uncomfortable in my body. I work out because, you know, i got to stay healthy, not because I particularly enjoy it. This is a running joke among some of us. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a platonic. I'm a brain on a stick. Um, but, you know, but I think our bodies are crucial to us. We have to have some kind of body, right, in this realm. But this, we're, we're transformed by this entrance into this realm somehow. As Peter said, uh, you know, in one of our first podcasts, in the presence of God, the only thing that lives is love. And that whatever we mean by, like, he will come again to judge the living and the dead in the creeds, that's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I just say, I, I, um, there, there are, um, uh, okay, I'm not going to make this a podcast about Richard Wagner, my favorite composer, who, with whom I'm obsessed <laughs> lately. But when Wagner depicts the end of the world, it happens to the most beautiful and exquisite music. Because mm-hmm. what's happening is that the world is being transformed into a world of love. And everything that's not love is just kind of falling away. All the scales are falling off. Um, and I, 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 I look forward, actually. You know, I, I don't want to die tomorrow. Uh, and I don't think the point of Christianity is to, you know, just no. get us to heaven. But we all do die. And um, 
uh, you know, physicists, neuro, uh, astrophysicists would tell you the universe itself is finite, right? So it's very likely that the universe will itself come to an end in some kind of like, you know, reverse Big Bang kind of cosmic moment. It'll just fizzle out. Um, when that happens, everything will be launched into the realm of God. And that's the life of the world to come, I think. The fact that, you know, God loves this world so much, God is going to save it even from itself. Mm -hmm. uh, whether from sin or from death or from whatever. That's why I actually love preaching on this day. I, 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 I choose it every year. I'm like, I want, I want to have it one. Uh, when everybody's on Thanksgiving break, because it, that fills me with, with incredible hope. Um, mm. But I know that it doesn't, doesn't, this passage itself doesn't sound hopeful. Mm -hmm. um, not necessarily. You do have to chew on it. Um, and again, I don't mean to say I'm right. I think we'll all find out if I'm right. <laughs> and if somebody else is right or et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that's, you know, when I have to speculate about this stuff, about eschatology, the fancy word for yeah. the end from yeah. eschaton mm -hmm. to the end, that's, that's my eschatology. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, if there's one thing to remember also about Luke, I think in a passage like this, that instills so much fear when taken out of context is that in Luke, the, one of the key messages for Jesus was that everybody is included. You yes. know, everybody right. is, and yeah. no one's going to be like left behind or fried or, you know, I mean, the one message in this gospel is, is let's all get on board and I want all of, I want everyone. And you have a, a good friend in Teilhard de Chardin who, yeah. who, you know, talks about the Omega point and everything, you know, mm -hmm. converging into the union with God and, yeah. You know, you, I think you put a lot of wonderful language to his, his image right now. So that's really helpful. Or Tehar could put a lot of beautiful language to, you know, to my, uh, my little fragments there. Uh, yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, uh, either of you with a, with a last word for the people here, um, maybe, uh, you know, what are they supposed to do with Advent exactly? <laughs> Well, I just want to say one other thing before we get to what oh, to yeah, do sorry. with Advent. It just uh, first of all, really beautiful attestations on your each of your parts about um, uh, the eschatological uh, uh, ends to which we're moving. Uh, I mean, we're closer to it than any generation behind us, right? Is there, <laughs> yeah, whatever it is. It. But that Luke does, you know, Luke does understand time in a particular way. So yeah. he, he has time that runs right up to John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is the greatest prophet of all. And then he has, mm -hmm. then he has, he has Jesus' time, right? And then uh, in the Acts of the Apostles, he lays out, you know, the, the next level of time, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the Pentecostal time of the church. Uh, and then, and then this is this is time beyond that time, right? I mean, we're, we're sort of we're sort of uh, the movement of time, and and um, and uh, how how does this all work together? A anyway, I uh, really really yeah. beautiful, and 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 so I back to my commenting at the beginning, saying it's a terrible way to begin the church year, uh, <laughs> which I'm not backing down from completely. Yeah. Okay. I, 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 uh, I would just say. That if we were writing the Bible, right? Of course, it would be terrifyingly terrible. But um, I don't know, or, she was writing it. Uh, maybe yeah, she's a, she's a very beautiful writer. Right. Writer. Okay. So if Elizabeth was writing the Bible, content, content. and then she was putting the right stuff in it, right? You know. But uh, I mean, what would we do if we wanted to move people to the divine, the unseen divine, the life of the life that is beyond, um, as we, the materiality of our lives. And and ultimately, that's the business at some profound level that we're in is how do I come to know that which is unseeable and unknown, yeah. um, and and that 
and that your 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 discussion of Wagner's uh, uh, end of time, which makes you just want to cry, you want to every every cell in your body wants to be released in a kind of sniveling joy uh, in a, in an emotion that yeah. doesn't fit into our categories of joy and sorrow and all stuff, but it, whatever it is, it's, mm-hmm. it results in tears and snot, right? Okay, because yeah. it's so it's so beautiful, and that doesn't make any sense, but it's really <laughs> true. Uh, and yeah. that and that that at some level in all of this with signs of sun and moon and stars, I mean, we're 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 using sim- he's using symbolic metaphorical uh, language of, of cosmic consequence, mm-hmm. right? To talk about the lives that we all have which are really seriously like uh, okay yeah. today is you know what and I gotta eat breakfast and you know I gotta do something with my body because I have one of these things yeah. and and so as, as the, the materiality of our lives moves towards the the immateriality of the trueness of, of the fullness of all things which is not materiality mm-hmm. in which we would have a Hebrew understanding not just uh, uh, where you know Adam, Adam the earth being is is a holistic thing mm-hmm. that involves depths of souls that just the Greek understanding of soul doesn't doesn't get to. But right. anyway, uh, I right. don't mean to get lost in an infinite regression. Sorry, but all of that, yeah. all of that, including the 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 cosmic stuff, all gets wrapped up toward that that point that you're talking to and you're talking to, um, right. and that that's what that's what. And 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 there would be a way to say that, which is what the purpose of the homily is, uh, is to decode mm-hmm. some of this language and mm-hmm. to say and to give people. The this vision that is really moving to really mm-hmm. stop you in your tracks, um, and and I would think in in certain crazy ways more helpful than go to South Dakota and dig a <laughs> hole in the ground and <laughs> buy a bunch of beans. <laughs> yeah, 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 you know, yeah, yeah. Which totally. I, I find utterly mm-hmm. uh, uh, without hope, mm-hmm. and 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 I'm only distressed yeah. to the degree yeah. that when I see that the scriptures which are given to us for our learning mm-hmm. become mm-hmm. unlearning and they. Mm-hmm. You know, they really, they really ruin people's lives because mm-hmm. they take it so seriously, but don't have the tools yeah. to understand it, and it leads to some kookiness. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. real kookiness. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you said inspires me um, to say something just briefly about Advent to issue an invitation yes. to each of you. Um, so you know, our uh, our our kids and our youth are going to be moving through Advent with particular invitations to spiritual practices uh, organized around the Advent wreaths. Um, but for for all of the adults listening, I I have an idea. Um, my you know, my favorite theologian is Hans Urs von Balthasar. Balthasar was a great lover of Mozart's music, not Wagner's. He didn't care for Wagner, and he was wrong about many things, Balthasar. But he was especially wrong about Wagner. But anyway, he loved Mozart, and he said he loved Mozart because he his music reminded him that there are some things that are too beautiful for this world. Because it's as though they already reflect that omega point, that, that everything yes. that you were just, uh, you were both um, pointing to. And whatever that is for you, right, doesn't have to be Wagner, doesn't have to be music. Whatever it is, though, in your life and in your, that speaks to your being, that you find to be just a little too beautiful mm-hmm. for this world, because it, it looks like the next. Organize your advent around that. Wow. Spend as much time with it as you possibly can. Um, and perhaps that for you could even be some part of this world, like uh, something in the natural world. You know, my own connection to the natural world has um, been, been reinforced during the pandemic. So don't need to give you too many ideas, but whatever it is that spurs your heart, go for it. Also, please like, share, and subscribe this podcast. Help us to share this word of hope with a world in great need. God bless you. Happy Advent. Oh, 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 oh,